0: Is the Next Trip podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other avgeeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 144, operating on August 29th, 2022. This is Doug, an airline pilot. I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager, private pilot trainee. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective Drew, it's been a relatively quiet week for both of us, at least on the work front. My daughter is recovering from surgery, which that's had its share of excitement. But this is an aviation podcast, not a medical podcast. Let's jump right into our aviation week. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds about all that home stuff. You got well.
1: To... I just want to take a second, though. Poppy did not follow SOP because the SOPs she has. Some procedure or something, some emergency when you're overseas. True. So At least she timed
0: it. It, it yeah. It was it was like 18 hours before I left. I I knew I had the trip, and then and then it was the ER visit. You're right. The ER was not <laughs> while I was gone. That's yeah. That that's definitely yeah. a it's a bonus. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so she's aligning herself with your <laughs> with your new yeah. schedule. That's good.
0: You got to meet some new hire pilots this week.
1: You know they bring them in and they'll introduce me real quick, and they always come in at the worst time, like everyone. Something said. To me one time they came in when the, I was about to close the ring <laughs> and I'm like,
0: you don't want to be, you know, no, that's a great time. That is a gr- it's, Fly so on the wall, stand in the back and watch things happen. That would be awesome.
1: Yeah. But I don't care. You know, whomever they bring they're constantly parading people into the office. Hey, this is the SOC. I don't even know who these people are. And sometimes I have to ask, is this the girl scouts? Is it a make a wish foundation? <laughs> who is it? You know, cause I, I, I want to talk to whomever is there, but with these guys, I know it's pilots because flight. um, Flight Ops brought them in and they're walking around. This is a shift manager. I'm embroiled in something, but I'm like, this, no, I want to tell them. Mm-hmm. I want to make their visit meaningful. So finish what I'm doing. And then I talk to them. I show them around the office, like how we set up the real estate of the airport and who, who watches what, and this is maintenance and this is customer service. And I tell them a little bit of what, what we do about gate holds. And I told them, we want to be your favorite hub. So, you know, let me know if there's something when you're flying out of here. I'm always amazed at how little pilots know about the rest of the operation. I had this idea. I spoke to flight ops and I think I'm also going to talk to, uh, in flight, which is the flight attendants. Mm -hmm. When you have, um, a group of new hires, let my team do a one hour presentation for you about Washington Dulles and what is our markets? What's our gates? You know, what are, what are our banks? I think it'll be very enlightening. I think they'll enjoy it.
0: I think it would be really beneficial because I I was telling you a lot of what you talked to them about. I didn't get to experience or or a lot of that. I don't even know if not for talking to you on the podcast.
1: Well, do you know at stage two, which is an internal process for the wind speed, if the speed is at a certain amount, we don't hook you up to PC air, yeah. which is the preconditioned and,
0: and air. Did you know that? I, After you told me, and I, I have learned that, so. and I've had captains go, why don't we have the air hooked up? And I'd say, because it says stage two on the thing, and that means they can't. He said, well, how do you know that? Like, what what does that mean? There are people who have been flying for 30 years at the airlines and don't know these things. Not to say that uh, a one-hour presentation, everyone is going to remember everything, but I think mm-hmm. that... that that one hour sitting down with the new hires. Now, granted, they they might they might remember about ten percent of what you say because at that point it's fire hose. But still, like that, that would be incredibly beneficial, I think, for them to to be able well, to learn that.
1: Right. I mean, but we'll just pick out a few things like how can we help them and how can they help us. Like for example, the kickoff flights. We constantly talk about how important those few flights are that start off at each airport. Pilots don't know. I, I don't think pilots know that their flight may be one of their flights, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's very easy to find if your flight is a kickoff flight, we have a certain name for it at our airline, but you know how much that helps the whole system. If the pilots are also on board, making sure that flight leaves Mm -hmm. on time, just little things like that. Yeah. You thought that one of them was one of your buddies I did, who is
0: now based. <laughs> because he's, he's a new hire and he's based there. And I, I wasn't sure when he was doing his visit. And I asked you if, well, maybe my, my buddy was there. I texted him. He said he wasn't. But you guys ended up just chatting for a while.
1: Yeah. I want to hear about your fri- flight to uh, Frankfurt. But I also want to talk about my flight because um, I did a glass cockpit just like yours. So I want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. You had an uneventful flight to Frankfurt. You said it was a smooth trip. Anything stand out?
0: No, but both directions, really smooth. We did see the northern lights on the way over. It wasn't quite anywhere near the same as what it was a couple of weeks ago when I went over there. It, I, I mean, now I understand that during the summer, I guess, if it's dark enough, then, yeah, I guess you'd see the northern lights during the summer. I, that was news to me, but that's two flights in a row heading that direction that where you saw it. we went far enough north and we saw it.
1: Now, I have a question for you. Before you left, so you were the... IRO pilot which I was. is the relief pilot so mm-hmm. you're not you're not part of the crew that's taking off and landing you're, you're the relief yeah and I think you said your sleep schedule like your sleep schedule for this flight was your time nine o'clock to midnight is that right
0: roughly local like my what my body clock is
1: so help us understand that so that is th- three hours right mm-hmm. this is a 11 hour flight 10
0: and a half yeah
1: so are you telling me the the pilots that are taking off and landing are you're working the rest of that other than those three
0: hours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah,
1: crazy. you're doing most well. I, most of the most volume. well,
0: everyone everyone is in the seat for about seven hours. Think think about it this way: you take a flight, eleven hours. Let's say eleven hours. It's easier for math. You take an eleven hour flight, and there are two pilots. You multiply eleven by two. There's twenty two hours that has to be covered by at least two pilots. We had three pilots on this trip. What's 22 d- divided by three? Uh, I'll tell it's you. Hold on. Seven, just over yeah, 7. I, I want to give you the actual. 7. It's 7.3, 7. which yeah. means that 7.3 hours of the flight, each of the pilots was in the seat. And the remaining okay. time, they were, they're were in the bunk. And with transit time in and out of the bunk, because you have to set up with the flight attendants who have to block the entry, you have to get out. I like to brush my teeth, take my contacts out, get upstairs, change into shorts and a a sweatshirt, get in the bunk, takes a little while to fall asleep. Ultimately, on a flight like this, you might get three hours of break time where you're not in the seat. That's not three hours of sleep. That's three hours of you get out of the seat, you leave, and you have to be back in the seat three hours later. That ultimately ends up being a, probably less than two hours of actual sleep. It's
1: probably half an hour of just prepping prep. to go and prep, prepping once prep you get up. To exactly. Like get prep in.
0: prep to get in and then prep to get back <laughs> in the seat to fly. Plus letting your mind wind down. I, I I, probably got less than two hours of sleep, which is why I had to set up my sleep. That, that basically is a booster that that's not a night of sleep mm-hmm. that it's it's your it's a nap it's a nap oh, wow. you're you're boosting your energy to be able to finish the flight essentially
1: what's the what's your strategy so would you try and be tired when you start the
0: flight so that you can get that short sleep you know it's it, it drew it's that, that is a really interesting question and i have o- over the years i've gone back and forth on different strategies i've tried to stay up super late the night before so that I'm incredibly tired and I just sleep as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Now with kids, that's not really as possible. And I have found that getting as much natural sleep as you can is the best thing that you can do, meaning going to bed around the same time you normally would, sleeping as long as you can in the morning, not not really setting an alarm, just sleep in. That morning I slept until maybe 8 o'clock, 8.30, got up, did some stuff around the house, and then I tried to take a nap. And it was just like we talked about my Maui nap, where it was a couple hours in bed. Didn't mean it was a couple hours of sleep. It was maybe 10, 15 minutes of sleep here and there over a a couple hour time frame, just to to boost that sleep as much as I could. Same thing with that, the nap on the airplane. Basically, any little micro naps like that and... There are lots of studies that we can talk about, medical studies right. talking about how micro napping actually, if, if like they have taken people, they've put them in a cell, and they have put a bunch of electrodes on their brain, and they have watched them do these types of sleep patterns, they see where they're at their, their highest and lowest from a mental capability standpoint, taking micro naps, they don't get all the way back up to like a full night of sleep, restfulness but they go a lot higher than what you would think for just 15, 20 minutes. Like 15, 20-minute okay. quote-unquote micro-nap raises you maybe 50% in capabilities f- compared to compared to what an eight-hour night of sleep would be. It's, it's like charging your phone battery. Plug it in right. for a little bit just to get enough to be able to finish whatever you need with, with the phone.
1: It will be interesting to see when pilots or flight attendants have that three- or four-hour break, how much do they – How much sleep do they on average get? I think if you got half an hour of a nap, I think you'd be doing good, right? I think you'd Mm -hmm. be doing well.
0: Yeah. And if you go in stressed about it, thinking, man, I really need to sleep, then you're not going to. You just go in. Mentally, I I go up there and I say, whatever I get, I get. And that's going to be better than nothing. And, yeah. and that just helps me mentally start to calm down. And that way, if I'm tossing and turning for a little while, I'm not stressed out about it. And even being in a, a dark room in a in a bed with my eyes closed, even if I'm not sleeping, medical professionals will define that as rest. And and your body, even though you're not asleep, your body is still slightly oh, recovering you. at that All point.
1: Right. Yeah, that's good to know. All right, another question about Frankfurt. Seems like half the time I'm arriving in Frankfurt. On a very prominent flight, right, from Washington, D.C. to Frankfurt, you would think that would be a flight that's important that they would want to put on a gate. Mm -hmm. I would say more than half the time, I am parking at a remote stand, and we all have to wait for a bus, which adds so much time. Did you arrive or depart at a hard stand?
0: No, both the times I've flown to Frankfurt on the triple, we have had a gate. I have flown into Frankfurt as a passenger where we didn't, I, I think it's, it just so happens that the time of day that I've gotten there, because right. I, I was not, it was you the same flight both times yeah. on the triple. It was later. It was after a bank, and they had a gate for us.
1: Yeah, you weren't arriving during prime time. No, that, in that's morning. Europe,
0: though, that it, and we've talked about that. You, you could go to Amsterdam, London, Frankfurt, Munich, anywhere, and you, you might get a hard stand. It's, it's just it's different in, in Europe than it is in, say, North America, like we're used to.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to talk to an ops manager in Frankfurt to understand this because we have more flights than we have gates during our big bank that comes in. But w- what we do is one plane parks, plane, It takes about 20 minutes. We quickly move that wide body off just, the gate. We drag it away instead of sitting there for hours. Yeah. Well, no, we, yeah, we drag it away. And then we bring in the next plane. We could do a hard stand. Mm-hmm. But why do all that just have the people wait for 15 minutes and they can walk right into the terminal? Yeah. The long discussion. Anything else on uh, regarding that flight?
0: No, it, it, it was fun. It was the same thing as last time. Went out for some schnitzel and some beers. And we we luckily, the other pilots that I was with, they wanted to try a different part of town than we had been. So I, I got to see kind of a different part of town, which is nice. It, it wasn't the same places that i went to last time and, and that's ultimately that's what you do if you end up going to the same cities over and over again you just try and get lost in a different part of town yeah
1: in germany i've been to frankfurt a lot so one day we took a train to mainz i think it's mm-hmm. like a 20 minute train ride and it's yeah. a you know charming little quaint, quaint town. little town yeah yeah so it's an idea for for you guys all right glass cockpit yeah <laughs> i think people know that i went to i was i'm learning to get my private pilot's license i was flying a piper warrior And I changed to another school and I'm flying a Piper Skyhawk. uh, I'm sorry, a Cessna Skyhawk. And the plane has a glass cockpit. It's called a G1000. They even call it a Cessna 172 G1000, which is the computer, two computers that are in there. Doug, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I have heard that it's better to fly with the six pack, which is the steam gauges versus the glass cockpit when you're new so that you can learn it from the ground up. But I will tell you from my experience they tell you focus outside more than on the instruments
0: mm-hmm. and i
1: really feel like with a glass cockpit since it's so so much easier to read i am spending more time actually flying the plane and looking outside what are your thoughts
0: yeah i've i've never flown i actually I take it back i i have flown a couple planes with the or a couple flights with the G1000 when i did my atp evaluation i had a g1000 the situational awareness that you get with the g1000 is incredible but it can also be distracting if if you are learning how to fly i can see how they would say a six pack is better and here's the thing too with the g1000 it is so precise and it gives you all these numbers and and you're just trying to deal with it in your mind a six pack and for the listeners a six pack is the six basic instruments and think of steam gauges a, a needle pointing at a number that's what a six pack is with a six pack. It's not precise. It's always fluctuating and moving. It's not giving you a, a, an actual precise information. It's, it's close. I I feel like that is better for learning just because you see, when I do this to the airplane, mm-hmm. this happens and this okay. needle moves, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gives you, it gives you the, that. the background of the actual like physics and aerodynamics of flying as mm-hmm. opposed to just a, a precise computer number yeah. that this g1000 <laughs> is giving. okay i
1: can understand what you're saying yeah given the two i prefer the glass cockpit because it's eye candy and it makes it so much easier yeah and uh, duncan my instructor like once in a while he'll turn on a flight director which tells you exactly where to go and i'm just like if we have zero visibility i'm going to be able to land this thing with 10 hours under my belt
0: yeah the, <laughs> you know, the analogy the analogy i can give is what, what would you rather watch a black and white movie or a color movie Color movie, but color movie, absolutely. But but to would you really appreciate classic cinema? Would would, as a Mm -hmm. a, as a movie critic, could you really criticize movies if all you watched were new movies, color movies? If you didn't watch the classics to see where where movie making has come, and yeah, it might be painful sitting down and watching a nineteen twenty five black and white film that the editing is terrible the sound is terrible the filming is terrible but it, it gives the you content. that appreciation mm-hmm. to that that base level of this is what it was like and and yeah. this is how things began and you learn from there because once you go to color then it's like well I never want to yeah, I, I never want to do that again
1: I don't know if you were joking or not I, and, I, and I'll put a picture of the cockpit on uh, the website so you can see what i'm talking about but that gps were you just joking when you said that it it looks better than the one on the triple seven
0: no it wasn't are
1: you serious i'm dead serious oh that's crazy yeah so i guess you know the newer stuff is better even though the newer stuff is
0: incredible yeah it's the the g1000 is is absolutely amazing
1: you'll hear more about this because uh i'm just starting on my flight training 10 hours Doug, as I'm sure you know from your grad school classes, there are endless ways to judge the size of an airline. Many airlines have legitimate claims to the title of the world's biggest airline. For instance, American is the largest airline in the world by fleet size and passengers carried. Delta is the largest by revenue and market capitalization. Ryanair is the largest in the world by total routes. We could spend all day digging into stats and finding different world's biggest airlines.
0: <laughs> we could, Drew, and I could geek out about this stuff all day, but why are we talking about it? Well, Business Insider just released a list of the largest airlines in the world in 2021 based on total available seats for the year. This list is pretty fascinating, especially when compared to the last time the list was compiled in 2018. Drew, you messaged me. You said you've got some qualms about this. I do we have want to, major do, qualms? Do we right? want to talk about it right now and then do the list, or do we want want to do the list and then talk about the qualms?
1: No, let's let's do the list. Okay, and then we'll, and then, we'll and then our run.
0: discussion because I've I've got some qualms about things too. Yeah. All right, go go ahead.
1: So we're going to go through this list quickly. Number 20 in the biggest airlines in the world, according to Business Insider, by
0: available seats. Business Insider did the article, but it's actually according to data from OAG, which is the the global track. This isn't just Business Insider doing research. This is actual. They're the ones who wrote the article, but OAG was the one who released the data.
1: I don't know what the O stands for, but it's airline guide.
0: Yeah. I I think it's operational. Operational? I okay. think so. Yeah, yeah.
1: someone at work thought it was Other Airline Guide. What you look <laughs> at for Other? <laughs> yeah. Number 20 is um, Alaska Airlines. They didn't change. 2018, before COVID, they were number 20. And then we, I have a list of uh, Chinese airlines. Shandong Airlines, Hainan Airlines, Xiamen Airlines, Sichuan Airlines. These are 18, 17, and 16. They were not even in the top 20 in 2018, so they're moving up. Number 15 is EasyJet. They were eight in 2018, so it looks like COVID really hit them. Back to China and Shenzhen Airlines is number 14. It wasn't even even in the top top 20 in 2018. Number 13 is JetBlue Airways. This is interesting. They were not in the top 20 in 2018. Number 12 is Spirit. Spirit
0: wasn't there in 2018. Number 11 is uh, Turkish. They were number nine, so they took a, a slight drop. Number 10 is Ryanair. They were number 5 in 2018. Number 9 is SkyWest Airlines, not in the top 20 in 2018. Number 8 is Indigo. Number 13 in 2018. Number 7 is Air China. They moved up from number 10. Number 6 is United. They moved down from number 4. Number 5 is China Eastern. They moved up from number 7. Number 4 is China Southern. They moved up from number 6. Number 3 is Delta. They moved down a spot from number 2. Number two is American. They moved down a spot from the top in 2018. And number one airline in the world in 2021, based on total seats, Southwest Airlines, they moved up from number three in 2018. Drew, a couple take takeaways here, because you mentioned China. You mentioned a lot of like JetBlue, SkyWest, Spirit that are in the top 20 now, and they weren't in 2018. I think the reason why is 2021, International still wasn't really back. Domestic travel in China and domestic travel in the U.S. were so much bigger than anywhere else in the world. And that's why for 2021, there are all these Chinese airlines, some of which, I, like I, S- Sichuan Airlines, I've never heard of them. And they were the number 16th largest in the world in total seats available in 2021. That That's amazing. That just shows. Well, and another takeaway, Boeing and Airbus, they always talk about how big the Chinese market is for for their future growth and and revenues and and all that, this list just goes to show there are all these Chinese airlines who are top top size in the world. There is just so much market there. India, I think, is going to be next.
1: Right, so looking at the Chinese airlines, it's seven of them. It's approaching half of the top 20. Here's my beef with this available seat miles or ASMs or ASKs, available seat kilometers. Back in the old days, when I was going to school and I was in airline business class, We always rated airlines by revenue passenger miles or RPMs RPMs or RPKs, Mm -hmm. revenue passenger kilometers. And what that is, is that's the number of butts in seats, number of people multiplied by how the distance that you're taking them. Yeah. So you flew 350 people, only 350 people, right? But you flew them a long distance. 5,000 miles. Versus Southwest may have uh, a smaller plane that flies three trips to equal that. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a better gauge of the size of an airline. Revenue passenger kilometers or revenue passenger miles. In fact, most of the major publications back then and probably even now we can look, Air Transport World, Aviation Week, they would always classify them by revenue passenger kilometers. Yeah. And somehow that's changed. I, I think that's a better gauge. Can I tell you why that's a better gauge? Yeah. This is available seat miles. So I looked into the load factor for these Chinese for Chinese airlines in general for this year. Mm-hmm. Doug it's only 70%. In the US, our flights are 80, 90 bet- between 90 and 100% during the summer during this yeah. last period. You're flying a lot of empty seats and my other question is does this include planes that they have that are just sitting? No, there's knockdowns. No, no, be, no because
0: it, if it, it wouldn't go into ASMs, because that is every time an airplane takes off. If an airplane has two hundred seats, every single time it takes off, whatever flight it's doing, you take that two hundred and you multiply it by the miles it's flying. That's the ASM, and that's how you get ASMs available seat miles, or as you said, ASKS for the year. Now here, here's I, I would counter this this point. I would say I think if you're looking at what an airline's possible capacity is, A- ASMs are the best way to do it. Capacity, because yeah. That, yeah. Is saying, that is saying this is the amount of seats that we can possibly carry people, even if we don't. Mm. And then and then, if you want to, to caveat that number, you say, and the load factor was this. So you could say Southwest was the largest in the world for ASMs in 2021. And they also had a load factor of ninety one percent. Right. Eighty nine percent. Number yeah. uh let's China. Number four, China China Southern Airlines, which was the, the largest Chinese carrier in two thousand twenty one. Mm-hmm. You could say, you know, they had X X number of, of billion ASMs, but their load factor was only sixty five percent. from a from an available standpoint, they were very large, but they weren't filling a lot of those. And and you can you can caveat it that way. I, I I think that's probably the better measure, and that's why we've moved away more for, or less from the RPMs, the the actual butts and seats, to the available, saying this is the capacity. Because that shows the size, the actual size of the airline from a number of flights, a number of seats, a number of airplane standpoint.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So that's how much, um, it's almost how much potential they have. Like when yeah, the full...
0: think of it like kinetic energy. From from yeah. a you know we, we talk about science and, and data ASMs is kinetic energy that is that is potential or no sorry ki- no it, it would be potential energy not kinetic mm-hmm. it, it is this is the potential of the airline if everyone yeah. buys all all those seats and and tickets on those airplanes yeah. a beef that I have is when you judge the largest in the world we said that Delta is the biggest by market capitalization market cap is if you were to liquidate the airline this is how much money you would get from it i Mm. I get it from a business standpoint but from an airline standpoint that matters to to me it doesn't that matters absolutely nothing cool they they have a higher stock price more stocks and and more assets than someone else does that really tell you much about the airline from an operational standpoint
1: right yeah regarding size yeah, yeah it doesn't tell you operationally how large they are Yeah, I think we should create our own. Let's we could have uh revenue passenger RPLs, revenue passenger lounges. So (laughs) the largest airline for
0: us. (laughs) JetBlue wouldn't even be on the list because they don't have lounges.
1: Yeah, or we could say we could size them by the number of uh, red wine varieties they have on board. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I mean there's several ways of looking at it. This is another way of looking at it. And um yeah, what you said, their capacity
0: that makes sense that's a good way of looking at it to yeah see what their I, I think is. that's why there there was that shift from asms to to or from our art rpms to asms yeah
1: yeah
0: interesting well drew you know i always find these sorts of data-driven lists fascinating and thanks for indulging me on that last topic and i'm, I'm glad that we had a little bit of an argument there because we, we both had some qualms about the, the data and that that's why i tongue-in-cheek kind of said all these airlines have claims to the world's largest, and right. I think Turkish is the world's largest for a number of international destinations served, or something like that. Well, but, so I,
1: I thought I was getting a break from data, data stuff, but we're going into another even more deep dive.
0: <laughs> we are, and and that's where I'm transitioning to. Drew, t- take away this first news story. No, this is
1: really good, and I actually got some more information on on where things might be going. I, just today, I sent you the uh, was it the GDP, the GDP. for our mm-hmm. country. we'll talk about that in just a second. But inflation is easing, Doug. It's still close to historical highs, but airline ticket prices, which were a key contributor to growing inflation, are starting to fall. July inflation was at 7.8%, lower than it was in June. According to travel website Hopper, airline ticket prices are much lower now, too. Flights from San Diego are $230 cheaper on average than the previous monthly high in May. Yeah, I mean, do you remember the $1,000 to get from D.C. to San Diego? That was normal. Yeah, I'm glad that's not sustainable Uh, Flights to Hawaii are down $154 And some flights to Europe are $300 cheaper Hopper lead economist Haley Berg Said that domestic trips in September and October Will cost an average of $238 Which is down 37% from May She does expect fares to rise again To around $300 by November As holiday travel begins to set in We're getting back to uh, a sense of normalcy Mm -hmm. So I sent you this, uh, I sent you this this morning, some define a recession of two quarters of negative growth. Mm -hmm. And we have had officially we've had the first quarter and the second quarter had negative growth. But when they relooked when they reviewed the numbers for the second quarter, it wasn't as bad as we thought. It was only a GDP drop of about 1.6%. A lot of numbers, but this is basically saying it wasn't as bad as we thought. And by that definition, we are still in a recession, but it could be a shallow recession, as you, you mentioned.
0: Yeah, and, and the trend changed, too, because the first quarter, it was a lower drop than what it was in the second quarter, meaning it, cor- it course-corrected slightly in the second quarter. And we, we don't know what the third quarter will be, and we're not economists, and this is not an economic podcast. But we also, uh, on that text chain this morning, we talked about how revenues are down, bigger than gdp and and that's that's a big indicator too is is company revenues that means people are spending less and and that means inflation wow. is biting into this but ultimately what you said this is good news that this is people saying the economists and the analysts saying ticket prices are down now is the time to actually start buying again because I think there are right. a lot of people in that there were they were priced out of the market during the summer because it was just so nuts because of all this all this revenge travel that we've talked about and Heathrow and Amsterdam capping price or capping numbers and, and all this. And we're we're getting yeah. back to that normalcy where the crowd who hadn't traveled during COVID, who had a lot of money saved up and, and just threw all their chips in and said, Let's go, that's done. And we're now back to the normal historical, hey, around Thanksgiving around Christmas, you want to travel, you're going to pay more. But be, between the summer travel and, and then, yeah, pr- prices will be down and they're down more closer to normal levels, not these crazy elevated levels that that they had been. I think that's a good thing.
1: It's a good thing, and you know, as far as the airlines, it's really not that bad because fuel prices are also going down. We have we've spoken on this podcast about how labor and fuel are the biggest expenditures of an mm-hmm. airline. So in 2019, this is uh, this is from Airlines Airlines for America A4A mm-hmm. A4A. Yeah, this yeah. is from A, A4A, which is the trade group for the large U.S. carriers. So they said that in 2019, labor was 32.3 percent of their costs, followed by fuel at only 17.7 percent. Fuel back then was two dollars. This oh, you're gonna love these people. These are your. So this is from the bureau. <laughs> these are my of, people. These are your people. So <laughs> I had dug into this and I found these numbers. From the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. And no, Doug, we are not having them on the show. I'm, I'm sure they're great people. Have you been to
0: the, have you, uh, side note, have you been to the <laughs> BTS website? I, this is where I got the it information. Is trash. It's trash. The BTS it website, trash. it is so hard to find anything. But once you do, uh, Drew, it, it, oh, it is like. It, it is, there is a trove of information. And literally, it is probably someone sitting in the basement of some archive in DC. Right who gets this data and just hits upload. And it it looks like 1995, but there is a million data points that you can just pull from the, the BTS website.
1: Right. So if you work for the BTS and you're listening to this episode, I'm kidding. You can come on the show, but we'll give you 10 minutes (laughs) because this stuff is so it's basically all spreadsheets. So I go into this site. If you want to know the price of a gallon of aviation fuel in 2008 in March, You'll find it. It's on the
0: spreadsheet. Exactly. It's on the spreadsheet. And their (laughs) website
1: is so poor, Doug. I went to it on my phone. I had to turn my phone. Yeah. Because the spreadsheet wouldn't show because they probably updated it like your work, uh, (laughs) you know, where it says Ozark Airlines is a choice for you to book. June 2019, a gallon of Avgas or Jet A was $2.03 a gallon. 2022. In June it was four dollars and seven cents. So gas has doubled in price. Labor and fuel is about the same now. It's about twenty percent. We're getting a lot of raises in the airlines, all of us. Pilots are getting huge raises. So labor is gonna be higher again as fuel prices come down. This relates to the the ticket prices going down because fuel fuel prices are also going down, which
0: is good. Yeah. Can we move on that? <laughs> thank you for indulging me. Seriously. That, that, that was, was great. That, that was great. You know, I love that. And I've spent a lot of time on the BTS website. I I, I joke about how terrible it is just from a, a user perspective. And it is really bad. But there's a treasure trove of information. If, if you want to absolutely nerd out on stats and, and data, the BTS website is is where you need to go. Moving on. We spoke several episodes ago about the U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's threats to airlines regarding their staffing levels. Well, he's back in the news this week promising action against airlines and the issues they've experienced this year. Quote, When the right thing to do is roll up our sleeves and bring the airlines to the table and work with them, I prefer to do that. But we're also going to use our enforcement powers to make sure passengers have a better experience. End quote. He said to MSNBC. The DOT is seeking to fine airlines for what it calls, quote, deceptive practices. For example, scheduling flights that the airline generally knows it won't eventually operate. We're going to talk more on this topic at the end of the show. You, Can I stop go, you right there Yeah, go ahead.
1: Our airline, and the major airlines are pretty similar in this, we have a completion factor of close to 100%. So to say that we're we're scheduling flights that we're going to cancel is not
0: true. Yeah, the, the, the cancellation... The, the cancellations for this year to, like US-wide all airlines are three something percent historically okay. at this point they're two point something percent which what? yeah yeah like going from two to three is a technically exactly. a 50% increase and and when you look at the percentage increases that mm-hmm. might seem like a lot but when you're when you're only canceling three percent of flights as opposed to two really yeah. isn't all that much different I, I and I, I'm not I am not trying to apologize or I, how do I say this? I'm not trying we're to say not trying flight...
1: to, we're not trying to whitewash the problem. No, no the if, if you're had, one of those, we have had staffing issues, right. That are completely controllable by that, by us. Yeah.
0: And if you're one of those people on those canceled flights, I'm not trying to take that away from you. Yeah, that that sucks. That, that's not fun. I've been there, but when 97% of the flights are not canceled and 90 some percent are operating on time in this crazy environment that we're having, I, I think that that's pretty good. Moving on to the the rest of the bullet points, he says he mostly blames the issues on airline understaffing. And this is the main part of the topic coming up now. Airlines have countered that staffing issues at the FAA have also led to many of the problems that travelers have faced this summer, something which the FAA has denied on multiple occasions. This is where things get really awkward. And this is the the main point of this topic. Last week, the New York area airports had a day where flights delayed at all three major airports, LaGuardia, Newark, and JFK, the, the delays were upwards of two hours. And the culprit? FAA staffing shortages in New York. The FAA said last month it was on track to hire a 1,000 new controllers this year, though it has 1,500 open positions as it stands currently. Drew, everyone's blaming each other. Everyone has a little bit of culpability. Ultimately, that, that's where we're coming from, is the FAA denies it. The Transportation Secretary denies there's FAA issues. And I've talked about how I've flown through centers and had to avoid centers because of staffing. And now New York had a terrible day with yeah. hours of cancellations and, and delays because they couldn't staff.
1: Well, they have similar problems that we have, right? I mean, there's people that are quitting. It's harder. To, the job market is, is tight. So it's harder for them to get qualified candidates. So they have the same problems. But I... From my experience, they do a great job. You know, I have a personal relationship with people who work in our FAA tower, and they are awesome. And they listen to us, we listen to them, and we work as a team. So I don't have anything bad to say about the FAA. Now, sometimes you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have disagreements with the FAA, and mm-hmm. airlines have. Because, you know, they're, I don't want to say they're looking to blame, but they're telling the DOT, direct, uh, DOT uh, secretary. DOT secretary it's not just us there's other constraints that we have to fly under
0: L- look at but- look at your own your own house before you you cast rocks at ours or throw rocks at ours basically yeah
1: but having said that some of these new york airports are so overwhelmed with flights and I'm, again i'm not blaming anyone i think that needs to be reviewed to see how that can be fixed cuz this summer i mean you, that was my life trying to get flights in and out of new york and even through through and to Washington, D.C., because there's Mm -hmm. so much traffic. Sometimes we can't. Our planes are out there. There's no flow program, but they can't get into the air because of the overhead traffic going to and from the Northeast and Florida. Yeah. So it's got to be fixed somehow. I have some ideas, but we'll share that for a different show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our final news topic today deals with an airline we've talked about a lot over the last several months, Frontier. And no, this isn't about JetBlue or Spirit. Frontier this week said it plans to increase capacity by 10 to 20% annually over the next decade and possibly upwards of 30% year over year in 2023. Can I that's stop you impressive. there? Yeah, please 10 do.
0: to 20% <laughs> annually over the next decade means they are going to double in, in or more in the next decade.
1: Were they in your your top 20? No, ASN? Frontier was
0: not. Okay, so they're on track to be on that soon. If, if that's the They could thing. be the Ryanair of North America with, with spirit <sighs> yeah. out of the equation.
1: Yeah, I know we're bitter about our uh, our, our uh, forecast of them merging with Spirit, but can you imagine the powerhouse they would have been with Spirit? Mm-hmm. They would have doubled, you know, But what can you do? All right, this announcement comes after Spirit's board rejected a previously announced merger with Frontier, meaning Frontier is left to go it alone. CEO Barry Biffle, we both love that name. We love that. <laughs> sees this as a new opportunity. Will now be positioned in the market as the only national ultra-low-cost provider, he said. The company is showing rivals it will fight to increase its share of the market rather than find a partner to merge with. Biffle also said that his airline is the best position for a potential downturn. This is interesting. He said in every recession, Walmart does really well and Nordstrom has a hard time. So which business model do you you want to be in? You want to be in the low cost. And we saw that, Doug, you know, as things were bad. People were flocking to Spirit and Avello and Allegiant to fly to Vegas for still reasonable
0: prices. Yeah. Well, I, I I know we said that we were, we weren't going to talk about JetBlue or Spirit, and we mentioned them a little bit in the bullets. But I'm I'm just going to say, from a, a consumer standpoint, and the protections that we've talked about, and people arguing, well, mergers are, are bad for the consumers because it means less competition, less seats available. Here is an airline who was supposed to merge that ended up getting pushed to the side. And they're saying, we are going to double the size of our airline in the next 10 years. And we are going to become this powerhouse. They're, they're the people who got squeezed out of the merger. And they're not just laying down and giving up oh, and saying, up yeah, Friday, we're, yeah, we're happy. They're saying, you know what? This is an opportunity for us to actually take advantage of the Spirit JetBlue merger. Yeah, they're going to be bigger. But guess what? We are going to grow too. How is that not good for everyone? To be honest, if
1: I was uh, vice president of operations... I would be much happier now than with a merger because once again, as you said, they're free. They don't have to deal with those
0: complications and they don't have to pay that. Like it's going to save them a lot of money in the long run. They don't have to pay the 2.5 billion that they
1: didn't have to shell out.
0: Not just that, but, but the cost of merging all the, all the lists, all the pilots, the flight attendants, everyone, the seniority list, getting the airplanes all repainted, getting the interiors all redone. They're able to grow organically and not have to pay those uh, those crazy additional costs that, that JetBlue is going to have to pay for now.
1: Well, and they're also not shackled by the DOT and the DOJ putting restrictions Telling on Telling them to the, give up they, slots and, yeah. That must be a very, very stressful job right now, whoever is in charge of uh, running the operation at JetBlue, <laughs> because now you have to merge two different airlines, route structures, they are getting a head start, though. I see them cutting a lot of routes, like to Newark. Fort Lauderdale and Newark.
0: Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. it's a good sign for the merger to go through that they are they are proactively cutting those routes. Yeah, I can say they've already done some work. Drew, as we mentioned in one of our news topics, the DOT wants to fine airlines for scheduling flights they know they won't operate. This week's headlines regarding cancellations might seem apocalyptic. Some examples are, quote, British Airways cuts 10,000 flights from its winter schedules, end quote, or another one. U.S. Airlines are cutting thousands of fall flights or yet another. American Airlines cuts 31,000 flights from its November schedule. Drew, what's going on? Is this normal?
1: It is normal, Doug. We see this every year. (laughs) 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 Anything that's shocking to anyone, anyone who works in the airlines. Airlines constantly update their schedules, and it's not uncommon for massive schedule changes to occur. Due to the recent instability in the industry, these changes are making headlines now when they likely wouldn't have in the past. Here's a quick lesson in airline scheduling. Flight schedules are planned months in advance, sometimes years. In most cases, the schedules are loaded into the reservation system 330 days before the flight is scheduled to operate. Some airlines are closer to 180 days. We talk about the IATA summer and winter schedule. IATA's winter schedule begins on the 30th of October, And as we get closer to that, we're going to see flights start to get cut because in the northern hemisphere, there's just less travel. It's not something that's shocking or really that newsworthy. It happens every year. Once the flights are loaded in the system, they are bookable by passengers. As time gets closer to the flight, airlines will reassess their schedule for a given month, usually two to three months in advance. If it seems demand is higher than they expected and they have slop. You put slop in the system. Do you mean slack in the system? Slack, slot, same. Yeah. They have slop or slack in the system. More crews and planes. They might add flights. If the demand is lower, it seems like resources might be strained. They'll cancel flights. This is happening right now, Doug. We haven't gone into our winter schedule, so to speak, but we are going to see flights to destinations like Madrid, Lisbon that we have seasonally go away. It's not... Something that's shocking is mm-hmm. something that happens every year.
0: Yeah, I I, I want to go back and we'll use American as the example that they cut thirty one thousand flights from its November schedule. American adds its flights into the 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 bookable schedule three hundred thirty days in advance, meaning that their November flights they loaded sometime in December, possibly January. That's three hundred thirty days in advance in mm-hmm. Jan- December of two thousand twenty one, January of two thousand twenty two. Americans said, this is what we think our November schedule will be. As time gets closer, they reassess that. And they say, we might have a flight from Charlotte, five flights a day, let's say from Charlotte to Kansas city. And it's not booking very well. And they'll say, you know what? We're just going to drop the Charlotte to Kansas city route altogether. Like we won't even fly Charlotte to Kansas city anymore. That's five flights times 30 days in November that, that's qu- quite a bit of that 31,000 flights. It doesn't mean American is not serving Kansas City anymore. It just means right. if you were booked from, I don't know, Boston to Kansas City and you were supposed to connect through Charlotte, you, you, you won't anymore. There are seats available for them to rebook you through Philly, to rebook you through JFK, to rebook you through Chicago, through Dallas. You are not going to not get to Kansas City. It's just... Yeah. You're not going to fly through Charlotte anymore. And five times 30, that's 150, 150 of those flights are just gone. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that, that the airline booked it trying to get money knowing they're not going to operate it. It's just they're yeah. saying there is not a demand to fly Charlotte to Kansas City five times a day. We're just gonna we're, like we're gonna cancel that all altogether and just reshuffle right. and shift them through. And Drew, I, I can't tell you how many times as a paying passenger, I booked a family vacation six, seven, eight months in advance pre-COVID. And then a couple months prior, I get an email from the airline saying, your flights were canceled. We have rebooked you. You're still traveling. You just might be going through Salt Lake instead of Chicago or, you you know, like all all these crazy different things. And they're doing it in August, which is three months in advance. No one one is out at this point. It's not like it was the day prior. This is not the airline trying to get money from passengers saying we're gonna we're gonna do this cash grab and then not get you to your destination this is normal this is how schedules work
1: well yeah and our schedule reduction for the fall is similar to any other year of course it's we're still struggling with flights to asia for example so we're not back to where we were in 2018 in terms of that
0: but the reduction like i'd say the percentage wise is similar to a normal year well and, and going back to American too. We've talked about American and Boeing's struggles with the 787. And American thought that they were going to get a dozen 78s in the last year. That when they loaded their schedule in December for November, they expected to have probably a dozen 78s that they're not going to have yet. I know they just took one, they might have another couple here in the next couple months. But a yeah. lot of these cuts might be because Boeing just didn't deliver the airplanes. American thought they were going to have those planes. They thought they could fly the routes with them. And if they just don't have those planes, then, yeah, of course, they're going to have to cancel. But is that American's fault saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're just going to grab cash from the customer knowing that we're not going to operate these flights? I would argue, no, this is, this is normal industry behavior. Pete Buttigieg should just be happy because he's saying we can't handle it.
1: So now there's going to be some cancellations. And this, we're going back to that story with the DOT pushing the airlines for better performance. Doug is just going to fix itself. So we're getting into the fall. Airlines have been hiring. I can tell you at our station, we're just about a target now for a ramp in customer service. So things will organically get better as the schedule reduces and the airlines bring in more staff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Alright, moving into our sweet spot now, and I'm really excited to hear about this. Drew, you recently switched to a new flight school. We talked about this. It brought you to a new airplane. You went from the Piper Warrior to the Cessna 172 Skyhawk. With this change, you went from a low-wing airplane to a high-wing airplane. I know in previous episodes, we briefly mentioned that a high wing means it's inherently more stable, but we really didn't get into the aerodynamics of why. And I'm actually confused to this because I've never flown a high wing airplane. You sent me a series of photos this week and I tried to, it was like 15 photos. And I was like, dude, let let me, let my mind catch up. I have no idea what's going on. I, I need to hear it, not just see it. Can you educate the listeners? And more importantly, me about why a high wing aircraft is more stable and ultimately better for for training
1: i have a degree in aviation you have a whole career in aviation flying planes but we need this this brush up in our knowledge once in a while just to like uh reconnect with the basics of mm-hmm. flying <laughs> so that's what's great about this this flight school because i'm learning this stuff again and it's exciting again and i get, we get to talk about it on the podcast high wing plane versus a low wing plane. Why is the high wing plane more stable? So when, when I'm talking about stability, I'm talking about roll. So when you turn left or right, which plane is more stable in the roll? Let me make it really simple for everyone, because I sent you those 10 pictures. Yeah. And then I'm thinking this is actually much easier. The center of gravity on a, a high wing plane, center of gravity is where Everything balances on on a plane. So that's your ba- balance point. If you're looking at a seesaw, that's your fulcrum. You for for the is.
0: listeners, think of a pencil and then think of like a wing on the pencil. Mm-hmm. And like that center point, that's the center of gravity. Yep,
1: yeah, that's where your weight is focused, right? That's where everything, everything tilts or turns from. So if you imagine on a high wing plane, the center of gravity is low because the wing is high. So your center of gravity on a on a high-wing plane is lower, where on a low-wing plane, the center of gravity is kind of in the middle of the plane. Imagine the center of gravity like a pendulum. So when the plane I get it. Turns... I
0: totally get it now. Get it? Yes. But, but now you, you, using your hands. Listeners. You Be- because pictured it. The, it's, it's a fulcrum. The the, mm-hmm. the farther your CG is away from the actual wing, the easier yeah. it is, like, the less that it takes to stabilize. Whereas when yes, it's close, exactly. it takes a lot more of a a moment or, or uh, of movement because your, your fulcrum is, is a lot closer. Right. Our engineer listeners, Aaron, Greg, I I probably totally slaughtered the the terms there, (laughs) but I I get the concept now.
1: But if you're just imagine if you're facing a plane and you have the center of gravity lower, imagine center of gravity, like a pendulum on a clock, or if you want, imagine it like a keel on a ship. Mm -hmm. So when the plane turns left, it wants to bring the, the pendulum now shifts the weight of that shifts and it wants to bring it back Back down and that that will draw the plane back down to a straight and level flight so that's why it's more more stable but the other thing i learned is the planes that have a low wing to counteract the lack of stability that a high wing plane has the lower wing planes if you look at the wings they have more of a dihedral yeah and that is the the angle the wings are angled up so you have a dihedral on the wing when a low-wing plane turns, that lower wing, where you're turning, now has a higher angle of attack in relation to the sideways wind that's hitting it. That lifts that wing back up, so that gives the lower-wing airplane some stability where it doesn't have that center of gravity stability like the high wing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's something. No, so your triple seven has a dihedral. It's a low-wing plane. Very big. Yeah. So when you turn, that dihedral, when you let go of everything, it has a tendency to come back because that gives it that stability. The Antonov 225, may she rest in peace, the <laughs> largest plane yep. in the world, has an anhedral, which is the opposite of a dihedral. Where so if you look down. at one, they're drooping, right? Yep. Why? You know, doesn't that, like, isn't that completely opposite of what I just said in terms of stability? So apparently that plane is so stable... You want some instability, so to speak, so that it improves performance.
0: Okay. Because
1: if that plane had a straight wing or a plane with a dihedral like the 777, that would cause it to be more stable and it would be harder to turn, I guess.
0: Yeah, because it's constantly wanting to get back to center. And, and to turn, you would actually be fighting through the whole You'd turn. Yeah. Think of a C5, a C17, a BA-146. Right. They all have an anhedral. An-
1: anhedral. Yeah, isn't that crazy? You want so... some
0: level of instability, <laughs> but you don't want too much instability.
1: Yep, and fighter planes, they have anhedral because you don't want them to be stable. You want them to... It's performance-based. You want them to be able to spin around, turn, and most of them have an anhedral wing because you want that instability for more, better performance. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing. And some regional planes have a high wing. Like dash, the Q, 8, the dash 8, ATR.
0: Yep. BAE-146, F-27, F-50. And,
1: right, and the Antonov 225 and the C-5 Galaxy with the military, they have a high wing. That provides another benefit. These planes are carrying tanks, so it's lower to the ground, so it's easier to load Roll these planes. on and off, yeah. And these regional planes usually go into small airports without a lot of equipment. You don't need a belt loader on some of these planes because they're lower because they have a high wing. They
0: can be lower because the jetway Because the the stairs are just built right into the door.
1: Yeah, so that's another reason Mm -hmm. for high wing. I did not expect to find all this information. (laughs) Another thing with the high wings, C-17 can land on fields that may not be concrete, may not be asphalt. High wing, so your engines are higher, Mm -hmm. so it's better, you know, when you're landing on the Not sucking up the dirt
0: as much. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so it's better for uh, for, uh, alternative fields, if you will.
0: Okay. So yeah, I learned a lot. a question that came up was, why do more commercial airplanes not have a high wing? Do we want to do a, a deep dive into that as another another topic later or talk about it now?
1: I think we should start the conversation. So with a low wing plane, your engines are closer to the ground, so it's easier for maintenance. You know, it's a good question, Doug. I, but for as far as servicing, as far as the ramp and all the fueling and all that, Actually, feeling feeling is more would be more difficult because it, it
0: already is more it's more difficult on, on like a triple even with a low wing because you're higher.
1: Yeah, that is a good question. I I don't know most most planes most airliners are low wing. Mm-hmm. The BAE one forty six, some regional planes are high wing, but it's very few.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, you question. know what? We'll have to do a deep dive into this just to see why it went that direction. Like if if you think about it. It started that way back with, like, the DC-3, and Mm -hmm. and actually, the Ford tri-motor was a Mm high-wing. Yep. And then the next commercial airplane was around the DC-3 time frame, and it went to the low-wing, and it really didn't... There weren't many high-wings after the Ford tri-motor.
1: I think it was a Boeing 247, and it was a low-wing. That was one of the first airliners. Before the DC, after the Ford Trimotor, th- this is definitely going to be a topic because we'll have to see why they went with mostly low wing. Yeah. For cargo, I can completely understand. For military and cargo transports, I can understand that. But for airliners, if you had a high wing seven thirty seven, you wouldn't have to worry about because right now the wings are so low, you have to like flatten out the bottom of the engine cowling mm-hmm. so that it won't so they have some clearance yeah interesting stuff aaron who listens he's a engineer he probably is uh a- Concocting a, a four-paragraph response as we speak, which is great.
0: No, that that's good because we won't have to do the research for the <laughs> for the next time that we do this topic. But no, that that is a really good question as as to if if it is more stable. Why do commercial airplanes tend to be low wing the majority of the time? And and there aren't any big a, aside from like the the BA one forty six is probably the biggest commercial airplane that I can think of that's a high wing from from, well, C- a, from a weight and a and a um, passenger count standpoint.
1: The C5 was originally planned what 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 became the C5, I believe it was a Lockheed L100, was originally planned as a wide-body jet alongside the 747. Mm-hmm. And they decided to go the path of the military because they thought that would be more lucrative. But we almost had a high wing a jumbo jet or a
0: high wing it's bigger than the 747 it would have yeah. been the precursor to the a380 it would have been yeah. a double a full double decker passenger airplane i, I'm, I wondering... I'm wondering if cargo has something to do with it that like the shape of the airplane being able to get cans underneath I, I don't know if that has something to do with it possibly
1: yeah i'm just trying to think if we had i mean the cans are loaded in the front or the back so you'd be clear of the wing so I'm, I'm just
0: wondering about the shape of the airplane Oh. because okay. like a C five is, is like a pear shaped yeah. and you can't really get the cans because the, the floor is so low, but that, right. that has to do with more getting the tanks and helicopters and stuff on and off.
1: Yeah. Or maybe Doug, maybe it's just random, you know, it's just the luck of the draw cause you can make them, you can make both of them more stable or less stable
0: based on the you know, anhedral the or dihedral. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's that's awesome. i this this makes me feel a lot better about all those pictures that you sent me because I was looking mm-hmm. at those and, well part of it was I was also dealing with all the medical stuff and I was trying to right. <laughs> I was trying to like wrap my but head think, around all of that. I think what
1: was confusing is I also sent you a low wing plane and the center of gravity there and I was trying to show you clockwise or counterclockwise. Yeah. Instead of just making it simple, just imagine a pendulum. The pendulum is gonna pull you down yeah if it gets if it gets displaced. Mm-hmm. Or a keel on a ship. That makes yeah. sense. No,
0: the, the keel on the ship mm-hmm. is is a great thing, too. That was awesome. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back to this topic regarding commercial airplanes. If, if anyone knows, let us know. Uh, otherwise, we'll we'll do a deep dive and do some research. But either way, we'll we'll come back to this. To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
1: Doug, you just said uh, it is their show. Based on that, get to work on finding the answer for (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, us. All right. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough.
0: This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show.